Hi everyone, this is the Love Your Career podcast. I'm Lauren Severus, CEO of Love Recruitment and Love Care Recruitment. And the aim of this podcast is simple. We want to give you the best advice from industry professionals to help you grow and love your career. We want companies to be able to take guidance on improving their recruitment process and for individuals to pick up knowledge, hints, tips of how to progress their career. We do this by letting our guests tell their stories. Thank you for listening. Truly, we hope you learn to love your career. Welcome to the Love Your Career podcast. Uh, today's guest, I'm really excited about today's guest. Today's guest is Luke Chadwick, former professional footballer uh, and now director of Football Fun Factory. Luke was recommended by Andy Kay, obviously a big friend of ours here at Love. Um, and I'm generally really excited about this. I looked up to you and smiled at just that point because obviously it's really important. It's it's a new and different perspective. You're from our sector, which is obviously what, what's been a real common thread of our guests. But also you're and you're from elite sport, so we get that perspective, the lessons you may have got from that, and your, your entrepreneurial thing as well. And to have three different perspectives like that all wrapped around you today. I know there's gonna be such quality information coming across for people who tune in and listen. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, thank you for such um, an incredible intro as well. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, so I really appreciate it. You're more than welcome, buddy. We'll jump straight in um, and we'll start the question we always start with is, this is the Love Your Career podcast. Have you loved your career so far? I have absolutely loved my career so far. I think there's been challenges along the way. I got to to live my dream as a professional footballer, as it were. Had challenges coming out of that, but now I'm working in the the perfect business for me in terms of what I do. So yeah, I have I've loved my career. Amazing. For those that maybe don't know the elite sport background and then what you've done since, would you mind kind of talking us through? your career so far would that, would that be okay of course yeah so I am a, a former professional footballer I started my football career at Manchester United I signed for them when I was a 14 year old boy as a schoolboy, and went on and was incredibly fortunate and very grateful to have played in an incredible first team there when I came away from Manchester United I spent the rest of my career probably described as a journeyman played for a number of clubs slowly working my way down the leagues before finishing my football career at my hometown club Cambridge United the club I supported as a child what a dream (laughs) yeah it was it was a dream come true even as a slightly older man at 34 years old after my career a real sort of football career sorry real challenges in sort of coming away from that went down my the coaching route completed all my coaching qualifications because in my mind that's what old footballers do they become coaches but didn't enjoy that I didn't work enjoy working in real development based football in a professional football club and came away from that and today I am the proud director of the football fun factory an organization that was built quite simply to to give children to see children having fun playing football in a pressure-free environment and it's a, as it sounds like, an incredibly rewarding organisation to, to be involved in. Amazing. Can I push you a bit more on that because obviously we spoke, we spoke before we started this morning about the organisation and um, ever since um, Andy first recommended you I looked into it, it's just brilliant and it's exactly what I think football coaching football activity needs because it gets far too serious do you mind telling us a bit more about the whole ethos and energy around football fun factory would that be okay yeah of course so i came on board with a football fun factory after speaking to the the co-founders james cutting and johnny martin who were two previous colleagues of mine i worked with them for a number of years at at cambridge united when we worked within the the youth setup there they told me about the football fun factory and what they were planning to do and it it struck so much of a chord with me because it was all about fun, enjoyment. They were the two most important things about playing football. And it took me it took me back to my early days playing football when I first started playing as a seven, eight year old in my first grassroots team. I remember their name Melbourne Tigers. I remember the coaches, <laughs> Colin and Martin. And the re- reason I remember them because I had so much fun and I, f- I fell in love with the game. And that's the reason why I had a career in professional football because I had positive first experiences and more importantly than that, that's why I still absolutely love football to this day because 
of those positive first experiences. So speaking to to James and Johnny about doing that on a mass scale, like we had a chat earlier, and football can become so serious so mm. early for children in this day and age, which, which is wrong. So what what we're trying to do is give children a positive first experiences to, to help them fall in love with the game so they love the game throughout their life. There's so many positive aspects that come out of football and the most important them aren't football lessons. They're about what comes with it. And what we're aiming to do is use, use football as a vehicle to develop positive life skills on a mass scale. So at this moment in time, we've, we've grown quickly. We've got 80 head coaches, franchisees spread around the UK, but we want to, our ultimate ambition is to become the world's leading children's football coaching organisation, which is, is a massive statement to That's make. Awesome, I, I, don't say it with, I don't say it with any sort of arrogance or ego. We're completely aware we've got a, a huge amount of work to do to get there, but we truly believe if we can keep adding fantastic people to our team with the unique programmes that we offer, we can we can create something incredibly special in the years to come. And of course, a reason for that is to build a hugely successful business, but probably the why that comes behind that is even more important to see hundreds of thousands, millions of children enjoy their first experience of football and to have a, a positive impact on football where at times, the game can be seen as broken sometimes at, at a really young age where it becomes about seven, eight-year-olds winning a game of football on a Sunday morning and that comes before the fun and enjoyment of the children, which is, which is a massive shame. I've spoken about this before when I've done episodes. You can hear scratching in the background as me write down loads of questions, but normally I write down a few questions. I've written down about seven already, which is absolutely brilliant. So thank you for inspiring already so far. Can I talk a bit about the role of the coach? Because, again, we spoke about it before we started recording and you, you highlighted it straight away just then about how important the role of, a, of someone who can inspire but see the enjoyment for children in football. Because you can do a qualification to teach them how to start to get better and understand the game better. and also, you, can, you can do that. But then the, the problem then, I think, where you, where you have that divergence of enjoyment or what, where, it's, where some of the youth football is broken, is you go down that everyone wants to be, or thinks they're Alex Ferguson or Jose Mourinho. Everyone thinks they need to be that way and be aggressive. We spoke about it before we started. Then you have, and then you have other types of coaches who, who, who can still improve them, but have fun with it and inspire them. You, when you were speaking about when you first started at 7 or 8, you smile on your face talking yeah. about it. That's how it should be, right? 100%. I mean, it's, I can't emphasise what a huge responsibility it is as a football coach to to engage children in their yeah. early years playing football and like at the football fun factory that's that's what we look for that's what we're recruiting in head coaches we're not recruiting ua for a licensed coaches some of our coaches are ua for a licensed but we're recruiting the person the yeah, enthusiasm exactly. the way that they engage and inspire the children because that's the most important thing we want the kids to they can't wait to get to training because they they love the coach the yeah. parents love interacting with the coach and that's where we see the real benefit. I'll be completely honest, I started coaching, finished playing professional football, went down my coaching qualifications, finished my level two, UA for B, UA for A, Youth Award, Advanced Youth Award, in about the space of three years, which was the wrong way of going about it because I was just ticking boxes because I wanted a job at a professional football club. And I went into to my coaching career and I was the stereotypical ex-footballer, full of ego, thought I knew better than everyone else. The sessions were all about me. I wanted to put impart as much of my knowledge on these children. And what I noticed very quickly is that they lost engagement. And it was, I recognised something about myself. I didn't like myself in that role. I didn't like the person I was on the side of the football pitch. As a player, I was a really nice guy. I didn't really argue with a ref. I just ran around as much as I could. but. I could affect what I did. As a coach, you can't affect it. You can shout on the pitch. And I knew that this isn't right for me. I need to I need to be myself and sort of stepping away from development coaching into the role as a football fun factory head coach where I started my journey as a, a franchisee was like a breath of fresh air because I, I was purely coaching for smiles. It wasn't about teaching the 
kids out of break a low block or beat the offside <laughs> trap. It was about smiling, having fun, making a silly joke. We do, I did a session for children from two to five years old in my local village hall. And it was, it's called our TOTS program. Yeah, and it's a, a reason that I thought about not coming on involved with a football fun factory because I thought of it that the fear had got into me coaching children or not strictly coaching but yeah, yeah. taking a session and I put all my cones out I had about 12 two and three year olds inside my big inflatable football pitch sat them down told them exactly what I wanted them to do up they get thinking now oh, this is going to be fine they're going to understand they didn't listen to a word they were booting my balls all over putting cones on their head everything was going all over it was a 45 minute session at the end of that session it was the most rewarding football session I'd ever done. They all had smiles on their faces. They were all asking, mum or dad, when can I come back to football? And it was incredible to have that. Don't okay. get me wrong, I know I'm not coaching them. It wasn't about sort of, like I say, improving it's tactical tech, but it, they yeah. were smiling and that was, that was football to them. Football to them was being inside an inflatable football pitch, smashing yeah. massive footballs about, throwing cones about, but that was there. They'll, well, I hope that they remember that in years to come and why they still love football because they loved their first experience in the game and that for me was so much more important and so much more rewarding than potentially coaching a child who may end up being a professional footballer that's what you just said you said that's what football is to them the association of football with fun they still get better but it's associated with fun i told you a story of my son earlier his association is with pressure because of that early experience and it's just like that's awful and it, it, it is crazy when you think and i like i had to learn very quickly because i was that coach the coach that you're talking about with your son that was that was me mm. but then you look at the bigger picture and you've got these eight nine-year-olds coming to professional academies and you're coaching 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 and you forget that they're probably just finished watching peppa pig on the telly they're going to go home and play with their yeah. toys it's crazy how serious it gets and if it's so school, early they, they would have had a full day already probably in many cases yeah and i think that's where like don't get me wrong there's some fantastic experience i've got nothing against professional football clubs academies but in my eyes the journey gets lost too often and it yeah. all becomes about the destination of becoming a professional footballer when in reality that that happens that hardly ever happens so it's it's all about in any walk of life, whatever you're doing, we're all on a, a journey and we, we never truly reach mm. the destination of that journey and trying to, to take the most, learn the most, but more importantly, enjoy every step of that journey. Was it, was it a quite enjoyable, I'm asking, was it quite an enjoyable experience when you first, when you first got into the system at United? Was it, was it quite an enjoyable experience then? Was it quite high pressure, a bit of both? Yeah, so that's something that, yeah. that we that I talk about, obviously, when we were building the Football Fun Factory, about sort of the ethos, the culture that we want to create for the children, all of yeah. our head coaches. And that comes a lot from my time at Manchester United. So I was a talented child playing football, was scouted by a number of clubs. It was very different back then in what the setup was. But I ended up playing for, for Arsenal for a year, yeah. which meant me sort of training at Highbury there was an indoor area called the JVC Centre training there on a Wednesday night and playing for the Arsenal School of Excellence on a Sunday against other professional teams and I didn't enjoy it it was nothing against Arsenal no, no, no. an incredible football club but it was it was very serious I didn't like getting on the train and going to Finsbury Park going to Highbury I, I didn't like I'd make up a stomachache to my mum because <laughs> I didn't go all the time and then I got scouted, and a reason for that, a master reason for that, is because I was sort of socially inept as a child. I, I was very comfortable with my peers that I'd grown up with, but I didn't like meeting new people. I didn't like going out my comfort zone. I didn't feel comfortable at all, and that was a massive reason for not yeah. sort of wanting to go and play with these other children. Then I was scouted to play for Manchester United. Manchester United were the biggest club back then. They'd young players were coming through and the opportunity to go there gave me a huge amount of excitement but at the same time massive trepidation yeah. as well to, to go up there and I was so scared leading up to it and I was thinking I don't know if I want to go how old were you when you were I would have been 14 years wow. old so then I ended up 
my mum, my family sort of talking, saying, like, it's entirely up to you, and thought, I can't not go to Manchester United. So my mum <laughs> dropped me off at the train station. I had to get, like, three or four different trains up from Cambridge, and up oh, the whole way up there, I was so nervous. The second I got off the, the train, walked to where I'd be picked up at Manchester Piccadilly, one of the coaches picked me up, and he was one of the nicest blokes I've ever met in my life, and I completely felt at ease then. So I was staying up there for a week, I've never been exposed to such a, an environment, such a culture in my life. You were made to feel so welcome. Everyone knew Brilliant. that you are, everyone knew a little bit about you. Everyone, more importantly, everyone seemed so happy to be there. The, the kids that were playing there, the coaches, and I fell in love with it immediately. And it, I, like, I just wanted to be part of it. I stayed there for a week got the train home the last day of the trial we played Nottingham Forest at Littleton Road where the club used to train Sir Alex Ferguson come in the dressing room before the game with a bunch of 14 year old kids introduced himself said I'm so happy to see you all here told you what it meant and I thought this is crazy I'm a kid from a little village in the south of Cambridge I'm only seen this guy on the telly ever before went out played well in the game got we all got dropped back at the train station or the airport to get home. Got the four and a half hour train home. My mum picked me up from Meldruth train station, the village where I lived. Got in the car and my mum said to me, Alex Ferguson phoned me up this afternoon. And I thought, this is uh, pulling my leg here. But that, that's what he done. He And when you hear that as a 14 year old child, there's only one club you're ever gonna sign for. And I was so, I fell in love with the club from that week and then every school holiday I'd go up to Manchester every Friday I'd finish school early and go up for the weekend and I loved it absolutely loved it and that is what we try and do at the Football Fun Factory so the kids are a completely different end of the spectrum to football but they they can't wait to get to training at the weekend and a massive reason for me wanting to get up there were the coaches the coaches are not so much what I'm going to learn as a footballer, what they were as human beings, how they treated you as human beings, which again, in any business, any walk of life is, is more important than, than anything else. Oh, honestly, I could sit here and just listen. I could not say anything for more than <laughs> let you keep talking. Um, there's, there's two things I want to point out. I'll come back to more questions about the sport, if that's okay. First thing is about, it oozed out of you, the passion and, um, I won't say love, but the, the, the passion for that culture and that environment that you're a part of, your passion for that oozed out as you, as you spoke about it. And there's lessons in that for anybody who's run their own business, runs a department. There's lessons in creating a great culture and a great environment where people can thrive. And that's what, and on a much bigger scale, that's what you had at Man United, right? At all different levels, there was clearly that culture. If you said, I was met at a station by someone who's kind, who's welcoming. You go into the change rooms, Alex Ferguson comes in. Every, every way you describe it, that culture of kindness and welcoming and elite, and it, sh- it shines through, right? There's lessons for any business from things, things like that. Without a doubt, and it, obviously it takes time to build a culture, and that culture yeah. and that environment all came from Sir Alex Ferguson, what he'd done, like he, the way he treated people is what built the, the foundations of the success in my time at, at the club. And I was only there a short amount of time, but he he would treat the the ladies that cooked the dinner and the, the kit men that washed the kit with the exact same respect as he'd treat Ryan Giggs and Roy Keane. He would know everyone and you'd wanna, every single person at that club would wanna run through a brick wall for him because of the way that he made you feel. I, I was at the club as a as a squad player within the first team in Carrington in the, the canteen. There was a group of under 12, under 13 academy players there. The manager come in, he knew all their names. He knew a detail about them. He knew their parents' names. And to to feel that as a 13-year-old boy, you, you're desperate yeah. to get into the first team. You're desperate. When he praised you, it would make the hairs on the back of your neck sound. There was no feeling like it. You talk about sort of the hairdryer treatment when he'd have a go at you. If the manager had a go at you, it would, of course, scary if that the main man shouting at you, but the feeling of that you've disappointed him was the worst feeling in the world, that you'd let him down. And that's where that sort of culture comes from. And of course, the world's changed now in terms of maybe within the football environment, it's not always 
shouting at people to get the, the best out of them, but it was more the way that that he treated everyone at the club, had everyone pulling in the same direction. And in any, any industry, in any business, if everyone believes in what you're doing and you're all pulling in the same direction, you're going you're gonna to achieve Absolutely. incredible things. I think the two things shot through there, if you don't mind me sort of suggesting, I, I, if they are true, I completely agree with them. Um, it's culture, some of the cultures built from A, being authentic first, but it's being authentic in in Ted Lasso about the um, thousands of micro actions all the time of that build, you build it's called him coming over and knowing one thing about number 12 in the change room that and sorry, in the, in the, in the, um, in the restaurant so those micro actions consistently over and over and over again it just builds that authentic culture doesn't it? Uh, without a doubt and it is a repetition yeah, exactly. of being the best person you possibly can yeah. so taking time taking details of people understanding people not sort of seeing yourself as above people, but particularly in franchising, for example, well, what we do at the Football Fun Factory, we are the franchisors, but we see that our job is to work in service of our franchisees. We're not above them in any, well, any, any way. We're working for them yeah. to make them successful. And I think in terms of, to put that in perspective of a football club, Sir Alex Ferguson didn't see himself as more important than anyone else but everyone looked up to him and the way that he treated people would rub off on everyone else so the lessons that i learned at manchester united were life like the human lessons that were much more important than any football lessons that importance of Absolutely. being humble sh showing humility that importance of hard work that important of treating people well they're the most important things i ever Absolutely. learned from being at that incredible environment and culture that I that I was fortunate enough to be part of. Nice. This episode is brought to you by Share the Love. For every placement we make, we plant 50 trees in the name of our recruitment partners. Share the Love was inspired by David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet and thus far has seen us plant close to 20,000 trees, well on track for our 100,000 target. It's something we're incredibly passionate about. And if you'd like to find out more, you can visit either of our websites and find the Share the Love sections. Thanks very much. So the area I'd like to move on to next, if that's okay, is you mentioned about the importance of the coach and the profile and what they're like. Obviously their qualification is important, but it's more about the person from both people who are going to coach, but also particularly the franchisees, the head coaches. Have you done some work in also identifying what, what good looks like? Because you have to, have you made mistakes to get there or is that always the part of the plan? How does your recruitment work? Yeah, so that's, that's my job really, my role at the Football Fun Factory. I'm in charge of the, the discovery phase. Nice. So I will meet everyone that's got an interest in the opportunity, sort of speak to them over Zoom, get to know them a little bit. That will end in a, a coaching observation where they'll come to one of our already existing programs. Myself, Johnny and James will watch them coach. We try and make that. So it's not an assessment, it's an observation. So we don't, obviously people feel pressure. They feel a bit of nerves doing that, but we want it to feel more like we're observing them, of course, but they're also observing us because we want them to have full confidence that they want to work with us and come on board as Absolutely. a franchise partner. So it's a two way street. We watch people coach. I sort of speak about what I've learned about them on the journey we've had via Zoom calls. Of course, Zoom is the, the way of the world now. It's not always a brilliant pe way to, to meet people, but it is a way to, to understand them a little bit. But after that, we then make a decision whether it's right whether we are right for them and whether they are right for us. And if the answer, we never say no to a head coach. We will say either, yes, we're ready to move forward or not yet. And then we'll work on a development plan for them to move forward. So, and that, like you asked the question, what does good look like? It's all about their personality. And of course, their ability to be able to, to run a franchise. So we, we talk, we get to know each other more and that's how a decision is made if someone becomes a franchise partner with us. Is it a balance between almost that, the, the, the gut feeling and your your um, subjectivity almost to it, 
between that and some, a science-based approach as well? Are there the things you look for in people as well? Is there a balance between the two? Yeah, definitely a balance between the two. We're, we back ourselves, again, not in an arrogant no, way, to, to develop people within their business. So we're not looking for entrepreneurs or people that have run their own business before. Some of our coaches do that, but we're looking for hugely passionate football coaches because we think if they can get that right, if they can give the children a brilliant experience, if they can engage with the parents really well, we can support with communications on social media, via email, that we can work with them for them to be fantastic franchise owners. But the coaching is the big thing because if they can't engage and inspire children, it's probably not going to work with the name Football Fun Factory, as yeah. it were. It's been a real common theme of everyone who sat the chair before you as well, I'm sure many people after you. One of the keys of great recruitment is knowing what it is you're looking for and having a really solid process to be able to find them. And it's exactly what you've, you've just described. And that will increase your chances of successful hiring all the time. Have you made mistakes, or have you been part of? Have, have there been mistakes in the past that you've learned from? And do you mind talking about some of those? Yeah, yeah, 100% there's been mistakes. I think. So where we're at as an organisation, we probably could have been twice the size as we are if we took everyone that, that wanted to come on board in terms of a lot of them didn't want to go through the sort of the development phase and sort of us working with them to put that together. I think we've sort of brought people on board that it hasn't worked out for. I think we've probably had 10, 12 coaches for one reason or another. Some of them fantastic people, slightly older, coaches and probably didn't buy in to the social media which is a massive part of what we do which is absolutely fine it was agreed it wasn't for them i think for some a franchise is a successful model isn't it if you follow the the systems and processes it should be a massive success and that's what we've seen with our coaches the ones that have followed the, the processes and systems have created something incredibly special they've worked with us we've supported them and it's been brilliant for some they've maybe not agreed with what we want them to do and then it all falls down a little bit because when you don't do one or two things that are considered tiny then a lot adds of small up. a lot of small things like you say it exactly. adds up and then we've decided on both sides that it's not the right partnership and we've moved in separate ways which again is absolutely fine but i think if you're in investing into a franchise you're investing into all those little bits and pieces and if you're not going to do them i think you're you're missing out on your investment because that's what you've invested yeah. into so i think that's where we've probably recruited people that weren't willing to do that a few times as well and then for both parties it was best if as i say we we went our separate every ways. time you learn those lessons you feed that into the next one don't you oh you, we have to because xyz happened now we know this that we're, we're incredibly young to franchise and we're four years old in our journey. We've made a huge amount of mistakes, not mistakes. So what we always say at Football Fun Factory is every challenge is an opportunity and we've had loads and loads of challenges like yeah. any new business would have had, but we've used them as opportunities to develop and now sort of where the business is at is in a brilliant place at the moment. Well, we know it can get even better so it's not sort of resting on our laurels but we do feel what we've got we we're evolving all the time and within our sort of recruitment we're we're getting better but we can still get even better absolutely what you mentioned it earlier and it's a question i normally ask i've normally asked by now but i we digress in really interesting areas what is what is your why for doing what you do now i think the why when i came on board with the football fun factory was to give something back to where I live. So I, when I finished playing football, well, while I was still playing football, left Manchester United, I moved back to the, the area that I grew up in as a child, the area that I spoke about, the Melbourne yeah. Tigers, my coaches. I wanted to be that Colin or Martin in my local area. So that was my why to, to, to run my own business. That gave me so much pride. It's I've never ever dreamed of having a franchise and running my own business. So that gave me a huge amount of pride, but to, to do it really well and to, to see the children have fun, fall in love with football. I was their first coach and that would create a successful business to me. It probably okay. wasn't about huge financial gain, but I knew if I got it right, there would be financial gain because I'm running a successful program and all the, the children are enjoying it. 
as it's got bigger and I've had to step away from the coaching side of it and now sort of a director of the company working on the, the growth of the business, it's my why is making the biggest impact possible in children's football. So like I say, millions of children wearing our blue and yellow kit all over the world, enjoying playing football and falling in love with the game because of us, because of the Football Fun Factory. That's that's my why. I want to see us continue to grow and have an impact wide world. And like I said at the start, to be the world's leading. That's, that gives me so much excitement to, to say that. And I know we're a long way away from being that, but we're making sort of baby steps every day, getting closer to, the, to, to that. And that is without a doubt my, my why. And it, it, achieving something like that would mean more to me than anything that I ever was lucky enough to achieve on a football pitch playing the game. So I think that gives me real sort of hunger and desire to get out, out of bed every morning, absolutely buzzing with what I'm doing and what honestly, I'm trying to do. Honestly, buddy, you're inspiring. You really remind me of um, one of my best friends, a guy called Craig Jones. I don't know if you've ever met Craig. Craig's a Chief Operating Officer of Junior Ventures Group. The passion and authenticness of how he wants children to be active and having fun and, and, and having that growth. He speaks about it with such passion more than I've ever met anybody. You've so remind me of him, that authenticness of you wanting children to be active and doing sport, doing football particularly. It's, it's inspiring. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. But I'm so grateful because like football's my life. Football gave me an incredible life. I lived my dream for 16, 18 years as a professional footballer. I played for Manchester United. If I look back now, I can't believe that I did that. I played for one of the biggest clubs. I finished a career at the club that I loved as a child. It was my fantasy as a six, seven-year-old to play for Cambridge United. And I, I managed to do that. And now to still be involved in football, but at a completely different spectrum, as I said earlier, that earliest ages and for that to be fun and enjoyable because of something that I'm I'm part of and part of the group that put that together is is something I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of and grateful for. Amazing. Coming back again, I do this a bit on, on the podcast, I'm so sorry. We spoke about the early, when you first went to Man United, the, the lessons and everything there. We talk about on this podcast a lot about, quite a lot, about the control people can have over their careers and the, the decisions they make. We'll get to your decision making a little bit later. But, but if you work in the fitness industry, you move around companies, you go to David Lloyd, you go to whoever it might be, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a control and there's decision making that can happen along that. How much control do you have within the football world? When, when there's things like you, you play for Man United, you get, you get the first team, then obviously, then you start going to other clubs. In our industry, it's quite easy, in inverted commas, to start to make decisions and have control over your career. And we talk about tips of how people can do that. But in yours, is it, is it hard to have that control over your journey as a footballer? Yeah, it's, it's more or less impossible to have control over it for the fact that obviously you've got control if you're under contract, but as a footballer, you want to play. So if you're not playing, you're under contract, more than likely you'll you'll move to another club. So in terms of sort of me going into that, it's probably not something as a 16, 18, 19 that you, you think of at all, really. I, I had never had any doubt in my mind from the age of 12, 13 years old. I knew that I was going to be a footballer. And not, I don't mean that arrogantly or anything like that. I just, yeah, I was sort of, and a massive reason for that is I lived in a small village. I was always the best player. I always sort of had a name and I just thought, well, I'm, I'm going to become a footballer. Yeah, I never had that. That, that, <laughs> that. That's and that's what happened. Like when you get into the game, and you become a professional footballer. It can become a little bit like a job. And I think we made a decision, a conscious decision as a family. When we had a young family, I had we had our first child, me and my wife. When when we were quite young, I was 22. I was still playing for Manchester United, and I think we realised then that we didn't we didn't want that normal life as a footballer where you're moving them from school to school, you're moving all over. So when I left Manchester United, I signed for West Ham mm. and we decided then that that's, we'd stay there, the family would stay there and then I'd just sort of move around. So I think we made a decision early, that's how we wanted our family to, to grow in a, yeah. like a lovely area where we both grew up and we knew that the, it was a great place for the kids to grow up. So in answer to your question, no, you've got no real control of 
where you could be from one transfer window yeah. to the next, as it were. But the most of the clubs you play for after that, were they mainly south-based? You, so were you able to maintain your location and still be able to do that? So well, the reason why I say that, was that an element of control you had? You kind of, that's what I was going to do. Yeah, I think I, well, I signed for West Ham and I was absolutely delighted about that. They were in the championship at the time. The season I was there, we got promoted to the Premier League, which was absolutely brilliant for the club. Brilliant memory, but probably the worst thing that could happen for me because it meant they went and signed a load of new players oh. that were, unfortunately for me, better than me and meant that I was surplus to requirements. And I went to sign for Stoke, which really enjoyed oh, my time sorry, at yeah, Stoke. Yeah. But moved the family up there for a while, didn't really settle. So that was the one period. So then I consciously had control in terms of, I said to my agent at the time, that I need to be back down south, signed for Norwich. Didn't really work out there and then went to MK Dons and then Cambridge. So mm. I probably wouldn't have yeah, gone yeah. back up to the other end of the country as it were. So it, it, for that, in that respect, yeah, I had control of the clubs that I would and wouldn't sign for. We had a guest previously, a few months ago, called John Hastings. We've, we've, we've spoken about it. And it, in his conversation, he spoke about that transition from elite sport, um, where you've had a journey, you've had a platform, you've had a career. And we have a bad sense that that career then comes to an end, that transition to what comes next. He said the Australian cricket board were great. Obviously, that was his big cricket for Australia. How did you find that? Was, was there a transitional issue for you before you discovered what's what you're doing now was was there a gap in between whereas yeah 100 percent. that was without doubt the most challenging time of my life when my football career came to an end and probably didn't accept that it had come to an end and wouldn't admit it to myself which caused sort of great sort of heartache probably a period of that transition probably took me about three years where i was really struggling mentally i'd come out of sort of the the profession of football where you wouldn't that big macho image where you wouldn't talk about your feelings and the fact that i was incapable of showing any sort of emotional intelligence or any sort of vulnerability saw me struggle a huge amount and my my mind go to a very dark place i mean when i look back now it was very very challenging but also something that I pleased that I went through to get to where I am now. There was a period of my life where I was really, really low and I ended up just sort of breaking down and sort of probably for the first time in a, about since I was a child, just crying and letting all that emotion out where usually the thought of me doing that as a sort of 34, four year old man as a footballer would have completely disgusted me. But there felt it was a massive turning point in my life where that felt sort of liberating like all that emotion yeah. was, was coming out of me and whereas I'd always seen vulnerability as a, a huge weakness in both myself and other people completely wrong when in in sort of in essence it's actually our greatest strength to be able to to show vulnerability and being able to do that completely sort of changed my world as how crazy as that that may sound just that That's one moment of really reaching rock bottom to then sort of let it all out and feel the the pressure come off my shoulders and feel like i'm ready to to move on now it's quite um i mean it feels strange even sort of talking about it but again it's something that, that i'm proud to have done and i've sort of spent so much time learning about myself sort of and understanding certain periods of my life what happened there that has sort of changed who I was but when you're in football it is quite a an insular sort of mm. game you're in it and you don't really know what's going on out of it and sort of to break out of it and to to feel the pain of coming out of it has seen me develop as a human being post football more than I ever did as a professional footballer because it was always so much geared towards football that I never really learned about myself it was just I had an incredible knowledge of football but not about myself as a human being so I went when I went through challenges I didn't really know how to deal with them so I just sweep them under the carpet and put them to the back of my mind and just not showing weakness not showing the vulnerability 100% and now being able to do that has like got me to a point in life where I'm happier than I've ever been before because I understand myself more which is well, it's obvious really, isn't it? 
do you think that's because the world of sport is so insulated it fosters, almost fosters the not being able to show weakness so it compounds doesn't it over and over, over again oh 100% I mean I, I, it'd be wrong of me to to speak about anyone else this, yeah. this is just my yeah, definitely. experience but you sort of understand that life as a professional sportsman or in sport when that comes to an end there can be massive challenges and I foresee a reason for them massive challenges is a lack of understanding of, of self more than anything else. Okay. And so you may have touched on it earlier. How, how did the Football Fun Factory link come about? So obviously you, you were doing your coaching and then obviously you, you took on a, a franchise. Yeah, so yeah. the two, my two colleague, former colleagues, James and Johnny, they left the club. Well, James left about 12 months before myself and Johnny, to, he got a headhunted for a role at the National Trust. While he was working at the National Trust, he set up the Football Fun Factory because he loved football. He quickly realised that he was building something really successful in a couple of small villages in Cambridgeshire. He worked very closely with Johnny for a number of years within the development centres at the club where they had forged a reputation of earning the football club a huge amount of money through these development centres. So when Johnny left, I worked very closely with Johnny in the academy. I said to Johnny, I'm leaving. So I don't like the person that I become when I work here. And I want to, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to do something else for my own sort of peace of mind. And then he told me about what he, I was really surprised when he said, well, I'm actually leaving too. I'm going to work with James. Then I spoke to James and Johnny. And then before you knew it, another of the coaches who worked at Cambridge came on board and we started the Football Fun Factory franchise with obviously James who had been doing it for a year or so and then myself, Johnny and Kyle all set up the programmes within a matter of about three, four weeks in the areas that we lived around Cambridge and then the rest is, is history really. And what's, what has been all, all the journey through, you can say a number of them if you want to, uh, or, or deflect the question what to ask if there isn't one clear one, but what has been your best career decision that you look at and go, 100% coming on board with a football fun factory. That was the best decision that I ever made. Football was great, absolutely loved it. So grateful for it. You sort of maybe don't make the decisions yourself when you're signing for, for other clubs, but coming on board with a football fun factory, it just came at the, I mean, timing's a, a massive thing. It's so important in life, isn't it? If if, James, if Johnny wasn't leaving or James done it a couple of years later, it may not have mm. worked out exactly how it did, but all the timing was perfect. and coming on board with a football fun factory at a time in my life where I just really found yourself found, yeah 100% found myself and it was the, the perfect match at that time really thank you for that that was awesome I'm pausing slightly because I was just I want to reflect on that how how powerful an answer that was so thank you the, when you people truly find what really means something to them it's often when they find their passion and do something true to themselves and that was an absolute great example of little you been living breathing example of where that's happened so thank you for saying that so authentically and honestly yeah and to be like saying it it feels so good to say that because my attitude at the end of my football career was that's it now the best bit of my life's over i'm just waiting to get old now when in reality <laughs> what happened was football was great but this is even better building something that we hope is going to affect so many children is so much better than the football, which was absolutely brilliant as well. So I feel like I'm, I've lived a very charmed life. I feel like that. I, yeah, I've just come across as so genuine, it's amazing. We, before I, I have, I have guessing sometimes, sometimes I ask some of the team um, questions they'd ask the guests. And often I'll pick the people who I think have got a special uh, understanding of the guest background. I asked Cam one, I asked one, I asked Tom one as well. So Cam's question was, Around, around, what lessons have you taken, obviously, from working those elite change rooms, elite clubs? What lessons have you taken from those that you've then taken into the business world? You've touched on a couple of them already, but what would you say are the key ones? Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest lessons I've ever learned were at Manchester United, and I think I took them through into my football career post Manchester United, then post football. And I think the, the most, they're, again, they're just human, they're quite simple. I feel quite I don't know, maybe that imposter syndrome that I'm talking to you, a hugely successful businessman, business person, I'm sort of, I don't feel like I've got a 
a huge knowledge of Are you really the business it? world. I'm doing what I'm I feel passive towards you, so it's not the same. <laughs> but I think it is just how you are as a person, sort of having humility, getting up every day to work hard, how you treat other people, like they're the the most important. They're so obvious lessons as well, but they were sort of drummed into you so much at Manchester United, what it meant to to play for that football club and what you what you're representing, and that I think they're the lessons that I that I took forward and have nice. used to to get the best out of me for obviously smaller football clubs and now the Football Fun Factory. Nice, great answer, Bolo. Yeah, uh, and Tom's question. So Tom's is the MD of Love Care. Asked, what is the biggest barrier you have in terms of attracting great talent into your business? Um, so you said about you know very much what you're looking for and what works. What kind of what? What's the other side of it? What's, what's the what are the barriers to stop you finding great people? Yeah, I think the the barriers in terms of a franchise model is that sort of initial investment where you find fantastic people where that can be yeah. a barrier. We try and break down them barriers working with certain organisations to support that. But I think that we're at a point in our sort of business journey where we're getting a touch wood a huge amount of interest in our franchise opportunities so at the moment i think the the biggest barriers are the the investment levels that come through it's something that we think's incredibly reasonable of course but the investment level for our franchise is five to seven and a half thousand pounds which is a significant amount of money so it's sort of working with these individuals to to find a way if it's right for them where of course we don't want to put anyone under unnecessary financial Absolutely. stress or anything like that. Nice. One question I always like to ask personally on this podcast, I like, I'm a big reader myself, I listen to podcasts and watch podcasts obviously on, on, on YouTube and stuff as well, is, is success often leaves clues. Are there, are there books or podcasts that you've either sort of listened to or, or read in your journey that have helped you either sort of personally or from a business point of view that you'd recommend to people? Yeah, I think in terms of the, and it's quite, sound a bit strange in ex-footballer but of the books that I've always read that have always inspired me are sort of that the spiritual sort of things and sort of looking at sort of how the mind works and sort of the subconscious mind and how the the positivity of feeding that subconscious mind how that can be seen on the outside as well so in terms of the the books I think I love Dan Millman the the Peaceful Warrior series I'm massively into that and sort of the um the, the lessons that we can learn from that sort of thing. You put me on the spot no, here. No, I'm love that. Desperately trying to think <laughs> of books, but my mind's gone completely, completely blank. There's what the one that I'm listening to. I, I was listening to it on a train on the way here. I've listened to it probably about five, six times, but I've forgotten the title of Don't it, which is, which is awful. If you ask, I'll add it, I'll add it to the um, show notes afterwards. So don't worry at all. Peace War, I haven't heard about, and I'd love to. And I, I, I've read a lot of books around things like subconscious and so the, the messages we tell ourselves and how important it does shine through you build habits those compound over time and we get better because there's a lot of stoic philosophy and things like that as well and I read a lot of stuff around that and it's it's how we how we speak to ourselves and what goes on in our mind is so important 100% and I think that's when sort of everyone's faced challenges within their life and I've been in very dark places and when I sort of reflect on that then it is that constant negative thoughts, negative sort yeah. of language that you've got going on in your mind, which then shows outwardly, as it were. So I think being able to to flip that, don't get me wrong, I know that people have gone through a lot more challenging things than me, and I'm in a very fortunate position in my life, but I'm so grateful for that. So when I get up every morning, it is positivity. Of course, there's times when I've got the um, the kids will annoy me or the <laughs> missus will annoy me, but I think I can deal with that really well because of the, what I'm saying to myself and the voice inside that's really really positive of what's gonna come next nice last couple of questions for me i'm conscious you are a very busy man you you do have places to go off this as i said earlier you've been around in this this, the different careers you've had so far different careers you've had so far been around successful people and such people maybe you wouldn't want to follow or identify positive traits in are there common traits common behaviors common actions of successful people or people that carry themselves well are there common traits of people that you'd identify yeah 100 percent. i think i was very very fortunate within my football career to play under 
great managers, great coaches, obviously the greatest of them all, Sir Alex Ferguson, the likes of Tony Pulis, Alan Pardew and Steve McLaren, like great coach. Wow. But, but what I remember about them most are their qualities as a human being, their traits as a human being, their sort of... Sir Alex Ferguson was the most honest person I've ever met. I'm, like where some football managers, if they don't want you anymore, they'll just sort of just wait till you ask to leave where Sir Alex would tell you to your face in the, the nicest possible way, which was hard to hear, but at the same time, you knew exactly where you stood, where you stood with him. And I think that them human qualities of how you, you treat people, like Tony Pulis was like an incredible football manager. I probably didn't enjoy playing under him because of the style of football and the amount of running you had to do as a winger <laughs> so much. But the way that he treated you, the way that he spoke to you, the way that you, I think the most important thing is when I've done my um, coaching qualifications, there was a saying in one of the youth modules, which was all around sort of coaching young people, where it was they, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is not just true in children, that's true in adults as well. And I think just feeling cared for by those above you, those bosses, the manager, whoever it may be, makes you want to do more. It makes you want to sort of work hard for them, those in leadership positions. And I think that is something that that I that sticks to me and reminds me so much of them great managers, them great coaches. You felt like that they cared about you and to feel cared for is that's a brilliant feeling, whoever it is, isn't it? Whether Amazing. it's your your mum, your dad, your wife, your kids, but other people within the the work in the workplace as well, there's no feeling like it. That's a drop of the mic type, type moment, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer. Thank you so much. Last question we always finish off with obviously how how we became connected ourselves is we always ask people who they think would make a great guest on the Love Your Career podcast, who someone would recommend this has got a great story, would really resonate. Who would you like to recommend? Yeah, I said, I mentioned this to you before and I weren't sure if this was gonna be a good one because it's someone I work with very closely, but that would be our founder of the Football Fun Factory, James Cutting, who's got an incredible sort of business knowledge, much, much greater than mine in terms of what, what he is, what he's done. He's gone from working within professional football, working in the National Trust to setting up the Football Fun Factory to to be what it is today and I think that he's got a without blowing too much smoke towards him as it were but <laughs> like a fantastic a fantastic story to tell and I'm sure it'd give so much sort of benefit in the lessons Love that her. he could share thank you so much and thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute joy having you I said to you um, in between that I found myself to zone out to listen to you. And that says a lot about the quality of the answers, how much value you gave, and it's been an absolute pleasure to sit and spend an hour with you. That's been awesome, thank you. No, thank you, Lawrence, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for, for having me. This is the Love Your Career podcast. The point of this podcast is simple. Listen to leaders, their stories, and improve your career.